Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to part two of Private Parts, the podcast where nothing is off limits. That's right. <laughs> That's damn right. Especially our emotions. That is, yeah, we've been quite emotional on the podcast recently. We have. Which is a good thing. Yeah. We're, I'm trying is. to teach him to open my We're talking, oh, yeah. we're, we are talking about it on a personal level now. Yeah. Which is good. Wow. Ben, we're still here with you as well. Hello. Hello. Still here. Yeah, still here, buddy. <laughs> um, hey, it was your birthday the other day. Yeah, Sunday. 22. 22. That is mad. 22. I'm 10 years, I'm it's 11 years scary. older. scary. I'm 11 years older than you. When oh, I was yeah. your age, I was doing nothing compared, I was just being a plonker. That's all I was doing. You were, you were on a hit reality show. Oh, that's show. true. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> oh, yeah, I totally forgot I was on a hit show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, kill, I was 22. killing it. Yeah. 22 with the hangovers of a 120-year-old, they hangovers are awful. <laughs> Everyone's like, get over you. When did you 22. get? 22. I didn't oh, get them until 27. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's a lie. You used to I get them at 24 really sometimes. I love that you know my I hang do, up. I remember. Yeah. My hangover history. <laughs> I remember. They I'm, weren't bad, but it's 27 beyond. You, 27. So you, 20, can you like wake up in the morning and cook everyone breakfast sort of thing? Cook you like that, that yeah. sort of. I, I, I mean, can't do that when I'm not hungover. So. When, when I, <laughs> if I, if I go and drink and I smoke cigarettes, because yep. sometimes I do that social smoking thing, yep. it, like then my hangover the next day is so. If, Worse or if or I drink, terrible. Oh, if okay. I have espresso martinis as well. Yeah. Oh, then oh, you think the caffeine mate, crash as well. Yeah. That nails me. I had one of those last night. You did, where did you go drink. last night? Went for a little Mexican. So Jamie had a, a launch of his new uh, yeah. Candy Kittens Brewdog special. Wow. Yeah, don't worry about it. The beers were 6%. And I've I've only just started drinking again after 100 days. Yeah. So I was drunk yeah. like, very quickly. And then thought, what time do you get to bed? Let's carry on. It, I was early. I couldn't I couldn't handle it. I was like fucking falling all over the place. <laughs> so I got into bed at like 11:30. Did you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look quite fresh today. Thanks. I was going to say. You doesn't get hangovers, fresh, does he? Yeah. So um, 100 <laughs> days of no boozing it does. It yeah, does that, do it. That's impressive. That's really um, impressive. We had a bet on it. Yeah, really. We, is that what? Yeah, I, we we I, bet. I won. Nice. <laughs> I said I would give a thousand pounds to charity if we didn't drink for for a hundred days. Yeah. But I still think something sneaky went on, even though we, we did a lie detector. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't believe me. Yeah, yeah. I, I still don't believe you. I think you cheated at some That is, I mean, that's insane. Sometimes you have a bad week and you're like, I need oh, a drink. Can't. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, or a cold beer. Oh, my God. Was it, when did you do it? Winter? Uh, when did I do the hundred days? No, you just did it just now. Just now, just finished. So from January to. Do you drink a lot? Um, I, I mean, obviously like I, I live in the middle of Kent, the nearest club to me is 40 minute drive. So <laughs> at the moment, no, that's quite a nightmare. If you want to go clubbing, because you then have to get a taxi there and a taxi back. 80, Where about 80, Kent, pounds are you? For a taxi 80 quid to the club. Oh, there's no point. Back. Also coming back from a club hammered in a cab is the worst. You're oh, just okay. like, oh, <laughs> rolling around. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it is, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, but I'm trying to move. I'm actually trying to move up to London so I can get back on it. And summer's around the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, re- the reason I came from Liverpool, right? I've gone from Liverpool, like centre of Liverpool, yeah. absolutely mad, to Kent. middle of Kent. Yeah. Surrounded by sheep and fields. Like, Lovely. That's kind of nice. nice <laughs> Lovely. But I love The that. reason I ask is I definitely think there's quite a big link between like boozing and mental health yeah. for sure. Like, I mean, I've seen that a lot with, with our friendship group. 
people that that you know do yeah. party line drinking like does affect i think i think mental health. drugs are a big thing i think london you know i had the statistic yeah. that that uh, that london um consumes more co- cocaine in a year than the whole of europe combined wow it's so fascinating so they they test uh, the water in the thames and they can basically tell <laughs> like what everyone's using. So like it starts off on a Monday, like the cocaine level is there and it slowly creeps up and then it gets to the weekend on like a Saturday. Are you it's serious? Like, Are they like testing loads- it outside Parliament by any chance? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're just asking, are you on gear today? But cocaine is a, dr- is a terrible drug. It, yeah. it's, it's, you've, it, you've also got all the, the prescription drugs as well. And, and um, yep. they were testing lakes, I think somewhere in, in the, in the Scandi country, uh, countries, can't remember which one. And, there was uh, an anti-anxiety drug that was, uh, these fish were basically consuming high levels of it and their population was starting to die out and they couldn't work out why they were dying. And it's because they were basically, they'd become so chilled that they- (laughs) They weren't having sex. Their libido had gone down. No, 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 no. They would just swim out into the waters that they shouldn't swim into because there's the Uh, predators there and they were all just getting eaten because they were just like like zanned out their heads. But I understand, I understand- um, sort of medication towards anti, anti-anxiety pills and things like that. And, you know, like the Xanax of this world and things which are like an instant relief, I get it. And a- antidepressants are different. But but at least they're, they're having a... Um, I think things like cocaine and stuff like that, it's just an awful drug. Makes you paranoid, makes yeah. you aggressive, makes you make wrong decisions, makes you into an idiot. You know, all these things that you, you, you see and hear and whatever it is, it's terrible. Like, and the fact that London is consuming more cocaine than the whole of Europe combined, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. No wonder people are feeling fragile and, and yeah. anxious. And but depressed. they'll go and buy wholemeal bread the next day. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Really? Yeah, yeah, they go and feel fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do you, yeah. I think, do you think uh, excessive drug use is a sign of like a sick society? Like, do you think London is... Absolutely. I think it's, it's also the reason that you do these things. And it comes back to drinking. Like drinking, you know, if you're doing it for the right reasons, yeah. then it's fine. And it's absolutely fine to have a nice. I, cold I drink because I right? love. I love fighting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. fucking yeah. love yeah. a good scrap. But it's, but like, it's true. If but, you yeah. are taking drugs or drinking or doing anything because you want to avoid being sober or mm. or being in that mindset, then that's the problem, right? And that's what that's what if you go to therapy for alcoholism or drug abuse, that's what they try and get into. It's mm. not stop taking drugs it's a look at why you're taking them and that's what's important to, to yeah. think about here is like and also it comes back to this whole if we've seen an explosion in the number of people that are mentally unwell and, and have anxiety and all of this we've suddenly got drugs and alcohol that can help right self-medicate mm-hmm. and suddenly people are like absolutely jumping on that and it's actually for a lot of people unfortunately a lot easier to go to alcohol and to drugs mm-hmm. than it is to go into a therapist and, and actually cheaper quicker cheaper quick well cheaper depending cheaper, on what you yeah, yeah, but it's you know it's quicker and it's a lot less intimidating for some people you know actually sitting down with a therapist for the first time i know personally was fucking terrifying because you're like yeah. i was like I, my first my first session with with my counselor lucy was lovely i was like how does, how does this work? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What do to I me? say? Like here? connect me up to some machine or something? Yeah, uh, it's really quite a scary thing to put yourself through. Um, and so, so yeah, I can I can see why this is this is like a problem for people. I think you did, just hit something really profound. Did, that did you, sorry, you go ahead. Um, yeah. Did you find with what happened with your brother? Did that force you to to pick up any habits? Did you drink more? Did you you know pick up unhealthy? Um, you obviously had the unhealthy way of thinking, which was the guilt, which seems to be so common with when, when someone loses yeah. someone in whatever form that guilt comes in. Yeah. Uh, I, like, think I, yeah. I, I, I lost my mum to cancer and I sort of started to convince myself that it was like, I could have done more. And it was like my fault that I didn't explore every avenue to try and, yeah. which is, 
is is a is irrational really when you think about yeah. it. I mean, it's a, it's a very normal thing though, and this is what I tried to get into the book. It's like it's very very all this stuff that you feel through grief and through trauma. It's very normal, right? Um, the the whole blaming yourself. It's called bargaining. It's a very common, well researched part of grief. That whole grief, like thing, you know, the curve that shows like I don't know, what's to go like denial then yeah, something else anger, then anger grief, then grief, and whatever, then yeah. bargaining is one where it's just all the what if questions the what if i did this differently what if mm-hmm. and obviously that 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 you in that stage for different amounts of time for different people in different situations for me that was like the worst one i think um but then this is something i wanted to get into is like because no one talks about this stuff none of it seems normal and because i was feeling this like the, the you know this self-hatred i thought that was completely and because I didn't know that was normal, I was like, well, it must be true. Because I didn't know that was a, a thing, mm. a, you know, a part of go- grief. And the same thing with, with numbness. Like, actually, for a lot of the time, I didn't feel anything. I, I How, went can to Can you sc- explain that? What, what yeah, do you, yeah. What do you I, mean? I went, to, I went to school on Monday, tw- less than 24 hours afterwards. I went to school. <gasps> It's, yeah. I think that's the brain's survival. Like, it was. I need risk. something normal. I just need. Yeah. To, and I, literally, I got in my car in the in the afternoon, and I drove to school, and I went in. And everyone at school had been told. And I, I sort of look back, and I can laugh now. I'm like, that must have been fucking strange. Fucking strange. <laughs> all yeah, these people, yeah. all these like groups of people, had all been told, and it was a bit like a bomb had gone off the school, and everyone yeah. sort of didn't know what to do with themselves. And then literally, I must have skipped into school. I was smiling. I was happy. They must have thought, what is this sick joke? Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, because you, you, you don't know, you, you, your body hasn't adjusted to it. Yeah, but I wanted something normal. I wanted to just pretend like nothing had happened. And so that's what I did. But because I felt so normal and because I was trying to fabricate this idea of like normalcy in my life, my brain went, actually it was quite sad. My brain went, you're not reacting. You're not going through grief. You're not sad that means you didn't love him. Yeah. And it sort of brought it back into that spiral of it's my fault. So that was quite difficult actually, because as soon as I would feel okay or numb, then that was just immediately used. It almost felt at some points like my brain was my enemy. It's like Mm. trying to find how I was doing something wrong. Um, But actually numbness, blaming yourself, it's all really, really normal. Mm. Really, really normal. It's shit. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. It's awful. And it makes you question everything you do, but it's really, really normal. And that's something I really want to get across to people because so many things in life are difficult and you do feel bad, but it's really normal. I mean, one of the things that happened to me, which is just the most bizarre thing. And one day I'd love to talk to some like, like whiz in psychotherapy to understand it. I became, I think it was a symptom of post-traumatic stress. I became really anxious when any ever any doors were closed and it was it was so strange so like my bedroom door if it was closed you know imagine if you were lying in bed at like two o'clock in the in the morning and it was pitch black and the light outside the window was on and you heard noises and you're home alone and someone walked in front of the door and you could see their shadow yeah Mm. and like the absolute terror and anxiety that's what i felt whenever there was a door that was closed. You felt like you were being what? You had this paranoia. Absolute paranoia. And it went not, not just like normal doors, but like cupboard doors, drawer doors, my sock drawer, oh, all you, these drawers. It was, it was so, so Speaking weird. his language. You, you yeah. Well, well, no, I know. It, I, I've, I've experienced something similar to that, uh, but, but not, not any experience what you went through. But, and, and so I don't want to take it away from you, Ben, but that, that yeah, you developed a really severe paranoia OCD sort of experience because you would just try I think what that explains right is that you were there was so much chaos going on in your life that you were trying to control something 
Yeah. And and it was probably the fact that you could shut these doors or keep them open yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. And also, I mean, again, like it, it's quite a normal reaction because, because you've gone through something traumatic. Because at the time it feels like this is, I am, this is not right at all. And I actually ended up going to the GP and they prescribed me with um, medication. I never took, I took, I think one, one to see what it would do. Uh, but actually it like passed over a couple, couple of days, couple of weeks, something like that. But was it was it anti anxiety? It was, was um, diazepam, so yeah, anti anxiety, yeah, which was literally popped it and it made you feel a bit drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so that I only used it once, like to just to see what it would do. Uh, but it was just sort of nice having them there rather than actually needing. Well, it's a safety him. net, right? That's what some people like it the most. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, you, you when you put yourself out of that position, and obviously at the time it felt really really weird, like something was going wrong. But you've just gone through something really really traumatic, and if you imagine your primitive brain, like of course you're going to be on absolute high alert because you you've experienced something traumatic and it doesn't know what the trauma is. It just knows here's trauma. We want to avoid that happening again. So shit, that's a closed door. We can't have anything surprise, any trauma, mm. any surprise. So obviously it's going to put you on high alert. And that's yes. what post-traumatic stress is. Post-traumatic stress has a really bad name because everyone can, everyone associates it with post-traumatic stress disorder. But post-traumatic stress is very, very normal. Like yeah. everyone that goes through trauma do, do, you know, it, it is experienced to post-traumatic stress. It's the stress you get after having experienced trauma. Mm. Obviously, the problem comes when it becomes a disorder. Um, but it's uh, it's all of this is what I want to do. It's just like so much of this stuff is normal. Yeah, It's so normal, but we've kind of made it seem so scary because no one fucking says anything about it. No one says right? fucking anything, dude. I'm so with you. It's it's <clears throat> mad and we don't talk about it. And and me for many years when I experienced my first batch of mental health, because it just it was a whirlwind for, for me for yeah. a bit. I didn't freaking talk about it because no one was talking about it. Mm. I just remember saying, I said this to you, to us yesterday, mate, where I used to walk around and say to my buddies, I'd be like, do you feel a bit nervous at the moment? Because I didn't know how to explain that I had this severe anxiety going on, which I was like, oh, I just feel, and I was 22 at the time when mine sort of kicked in. Um, but I, you know, but I don't want to, you know, it, it's a tough conversation to have, but that, when you find your brother who is 15 years old and he has taken his own life and you have to give him CPR, I, I mean, I, how do you even know how to perform CPI? How do you know what to do? I mean, that mm. for me, is that just survival instinct kicking in? It was weird. It was, it was really weird. And actually it's, it's almost, it's weird looking back, you know, because, because of the level of trauma that night, it, it, when I try and look back and remember it, it's weird. It doesn't seem like I'm remembering my life. It honestly, genuinely seems like I'm remembering a story someone told me. The, the moments around that, the time around, it's almost like time and space freezes and it's oh, yeah, just it this weird eeriness. Yeah. And like, when I look odd. back, I actually don't picture this, the scene from my own eyes. I picture it from outside yeah. the room. It's very, very strange, but it, it almost seems like I'm separated from it. And that's exactly how I felt when... So everyone sort of has this idea of how they... they and obviously it was awful to experience. And looking back, it was, it's, you know, it's a horrendous, horrendous memory that is very, very difficult. But at the time, I just suddenly opened that door. Cause my, so I was in bed listening to music and my mum went upstairs to check on him and obviously opened the door and found him. And she started screaming. Oh my God. And so I then like ran out my room and ran up and opened the door. And I opened the door and obviously it was, you know, obvious what happened. That was, it was that's an image obviously that stays with me for a very long time. But um, it was like two seconds I was in there and I just sort of froze and I was like, just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then it was the most bizarre experience because I don't remember actually making any decision of what I was doing. I just, I picked him up, took him over to a 
a piece of like open floor and then um started doing cpr mm. and like i i remember really vividly you know how it, like first aid lessons they tell you to do dr abc where you're like danger response blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. i remember going through that and then sort of like i got to like airways and i was like what the fuck am i doing if yeah. he's clearly dead right and I remember that so clearly. It was such a weird experience. It's like, why am I doing this? I just need to start CPR. And I knew CPR. I did CPR, like first aid training at school, mm-hmm. which is, I'm so thankful I did because otherwise I don't know what I would have done because my mum was, you know, in an awful, awful state. Um, and, and but you know, people have this idea of how they're going to, you know, what how they'd react. Yeah, how would you react? Yeah. I, I laughed. I was laughing. We had the 999 core handler on yeah, the phone weird how that happens. and my mum came in and she was hyperventilating and I thought she was going to go into shock and I told her to like sit down and like put her legs up and I laughed at the core handler and I said, I've got two patients now and started laughing. Yeah. And that's how you were trying to deal with it. And you I was so room. separated from it. And also one of the, cause obviously to like portray. And I'm so sorry, man. That is, no, it's it was, it was, a, it was a shit evening, but this yeah. is why I want to do what I do so much. Cause suicide, like I said, is just accepted. And like, if you really understand what happened that night and how fucking awful it was, mm-hmm. we can't accept this happening. And you know, for me, like, the way I can uh, sort of try and get people to understand just how awful that was to experience. I did CPR for 25 minutes. Anyone that's done CPR on a dummy or a person knows it is absolutely exhausting. Mm. It is so exhausting. It is takes every single muscle in your shoulders, your back, your core. It's absolutely exhausting. I had a broken rib and I didn't feel it. What? Mm. 25, 25 minutes. I didn't feel my broken rib. Um, I'd broken it a few weeks ago before at skiing. I had a broken rib in my back and I did 25 minutes of CPR and I didn't feel it. Mm. That's how awful that situation was because your mind totally is fixated on this on yeah. this task. And then obviously, you know, the paramedic took over. I went downstairs and I just, I couldn't stop shaking and I was standing outside like running, flagging down ambulances and uh, we must have had like the whole of Kent's emergency services. We had fire engine, police, ambulance, like 15 ambulances or something ridiculous. We had the air ambulance come um, and I just remember seeing all these like blue lights and just, I threw up in the, the edge. Um, and then I had this weird moment where actually I genuinely didn't think it was real. So I took a photo of all the ambulances. you think it's a dream? Mm. I took a photo of all the ambulances and I was like, and actually it was such an incredible moment because I was like, oh, of course it's not real. And I felt so much better. And I actually felt okay because I was yeah. like, oh, this is sick. It's just like a really weird dream. Um, and obviously I woke up the next morning and that photo is still on my phone, oh. which is, um, yeah, really, really awful. But I, I, I the weird, the, the dream thing I, t- I relate to is my, I, I proposed to my, um, fiance, my girlfriend yeah. and the next day she had a problem where I had to go to hospital and she, she, her blood wasn't producing enough oxygen. And I was in the hospital with her and she just, she kept saying to me, I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. And I just, I, 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 I was saying it's okay and she, she was getting bluer and bluer and bluer and in my head I was just thinking this isn't happening mm. this is a dream mm. this is just a dream I'm gonna wake up this is fine this is not happening and and that was just her not producing enough oxygen I can't even imagine that situation it's so extreme so out of the ordinary so um separate to what should be happening in the life is that you you can't comprehend it no it has to be a dream right yeah I feel I feel like we're just not conditioned or equipped to be able to deal with that, that type of stuff. That's why you have this mad separation because your brain just literally goes, this is fucked. I don't know what this is. Yeah. I can't do it. 
Again, very natural though. Because yeah. like, imagine cavemen, us, walking around doing something like that. The worst possible thing you could do right then is panic and 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 lose control. You need to have that fail safe in your brain that goes, right, we're going to absolutely re- get rid of reality for a second. We're going to pretend this is a dream. And then you can function normally again. Like again, this whole goes for the whole thing. It feels weird, but it's a really normal thing. It's really normal. And it actually, when you kind of put it into the primitive like perspective, it makes so much sense. But that was an awful, awful evening. And obviously, you know, that the, the next few days, um, as anyone that's experienced that sort of that sort of thing or grief in any way is just it's horrible. Um, absolutely horrible. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's the ripple effect as well as that you said before, right? Is that, um, you know, we... Uh, we have some great family friends and um, their, their little boy um, took his own life recently. Um, in, he walked into the woods and he shot himself. Um, and, I, I, you know, the family, you've got the family there. I, I can't even just tell you, it's just awful. But the ripple effect to, to my family, mm. to my stepmother, who was, you know, all of that that happens. How is your mum? Is she, you know, how does a mother deal with that? Yeah, I mean, she... Um... She, I mean, obviously, yeah. awful. The whole everything was awful, and like you said, so many people were affected. Everyone at school, school had to shut early that day. Um, let everyone go home. Um, awful. My mum has very much like dived into the mental health thing. She's doing a, a master's in mental health at the moment. Um, she's uh, she trains teachers in mental health first amazing. aid. She's very much uh, you know thrown herself into this, um, which is amazing for her. And it's sort of the similar thing to me is like it's it one of our coping mechanisms is being able to use it to try and help um and you know i would not have got through that i don't think i would have got through that year i don't think without that positivity that i got from campaigning and trying to help people like to be able to almost because obviously i did you get depressed afterwards yeah i think i was only natural isn't it to to feel awful yeah it's not and i had to i so i sam died in january i started uni in september and I was shipped off to Liverpool. I was like, oh, oh this God. is great. Um, and so it all came very, very quickly. I mean, I had fucking exams. Yeah. <laughs> A-level exams. And that's part of the reason I was like, I cannot revise. Hate revision. I've never been very good at revision. Mm. Um, and I was like, I don't want to revise because that leaves me alone with my thoughts. I didn't like that. So I sort of made the charity walk and we branded the charity walk. It was bright pink. It was fun. Colors, it was happy. Excited. All right. And I was like, I want something positive to do. And and because anyone that's been through grief knows it's an absolute, oh, the worst, the worst possible feeling because you don't feel like you want to do anything. You feel like you're, it's you against the world in a lot of situations. And for me, the campaigning was just a way of like getting that handle back on life and getting mm. control again and, and getting something positive because I'm a positive person. It's right? amazing that you had that about like that sort of um, intelligent, that sort of emotional intelligence about you that you knew this is what I have to do. Otherwise, I'm going to suffer. A lot of people wouldn't have that. A lot of people go through a similar experience or whatever experience and, and they, they spiral downwards. 
you realized that you could spiral. So you just, you just had to cling on. You had to sort of white knuckling and hold on. And otherwise, if you let go, you would spiral. Yeah. Although you could put it as like my, my way of coping was just a good way of coping. Yeah. And I don't, and in the same way, very, very easily could have been alcohol or drugs that I went and, and got into instead. You know, my way of finding something happy happened to be something that was good and positive mm. and constructive it very very easily could have been um you know like self-harm or um drug abuse or alcoholism like it very very easily could have been that and sometimes we sort of see people that have got you know alcohol dependent and and people that have those sorts of problems and then people that like me that have reacted in a good way as different but actually we're exactly the same mm. we've just found something that makes us feel good in a really shit time and Actually, there's not much difference between those two things. Um, but obviously, my way has been has allowed me to sort of process what's gone on and learn about mental health. I mean, the the amount I've learnt about my own mental health and uh, over the last four years is incredible. And I've almost like my mental fitness is so strong now. Um, I've worked so so hard on that, and I think this isn't a thing that we enough people talk about. It's like you know, you can train your body in a gym, yeah, train your physically. Mind. You get to a point where you're mentally fit. Oh my God, your wor- the world I is said, your oyster, right? Mm. I said all the time, it, it, your, your brain is, it becomes weak at times. So you're, you're either feeling anxious, depressed, uh, your OCD is kicked in, you're, you um, uh, are constantly worried about yeah. something. If you, you slowly train, it's like lifting up a weight. You, you can't get that negative thought out of your mind because it's too strong. And so you can't do, you can't do it, but you slowly train yourself like you're doing yeah. in the gym. You slowly, and then slowly by more, you can push it away. Your brain becomes stronger and push it away. But you're not hiding it. You're just learning to deal with it. And you become stronger until you can hold that thought at a distance and just brush it. It doesn't consume you. Mm. I said all the time, my, my, I, I get almost emotional about these things because, you know, 15 years old, mm. and the statistics you said that 7% or I saw that you said over 7% of kids are feeling this way. Um, of attempted suicide, 49%, you know, that's that thing that you said in your school or, or, or that, that 49% of students have had suicidal thoughts. What really upsets me massively is that um, suicide is such a final decision. Mm. It, it's such a final decision. And the, what, what young kids don't realize if they're going through and they're listening to this right now, is that you, you can get through it and you can get past it. And it doesn't matter if you're diagnosed with depression or anxiety, OCD, that, that's okay. The, the, the worst piece of advice is, I think it's the best and worst. The worst piece of advice is to say to someone, um, don't worry, you'll learn to deal with it. It'll be with you there, but you'll learn to deal with it. I got told that about my anxiety and I was like, well, what the hell? I, I can't, that, uh, what freaks you out. Mm. It's also the best piece of advice because actually you do learn to do, deal with it and you can live on and you can live a completely normal life. And actually le- you lead even a better life because you understand yourself more. Um, and my, 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 my thing that I get upset about is that these young kids don't realize they're going to get through it because they haven't experienced it before. And they, they're too young to understand that. And that's what's so shit. Yeah. People it, have this, like, um, this misconception about suffering with mental illness that you are weak because you're suffering with, your mental, with a mental illness. You're weak because you have anxiety. You're weak because you self-harm or you're weak because you've attempted suicide. I have met so many people over the last four years that have attempted suicide, that have, that have been very, very close to, to dying, that have been saved by the amazing emergency services we have. I've met people that have incredibly debilitating mental illness that have, been, that have spent most of their, the last four years in a mental health unit. These people are not weak. They are the strongest people I have ever met. 
because anyone that can be in a position where they wake up every single day to a brain that tells you that every, you and everyone else around you is better off if you were dead and still goes on mm-hmm. and still makes it to the next day and still stays around, fuck, that is strength like I don't know. Yeah. That is absolutely incredible. And so whenever, whenever all this conversation goes, mental illness is weakness. That is that is so far from the truth. It is yeah. incredible to be able to 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 put up with that and to and to believe in yourself that you're going to find the end. And just echo what you said. Like if anyone out there is feeling like there's nothing to live for, or they're feeling like they they might you know want to consider ending their own life. It does get better. It really really does. Um, and the fact that you have got this far through that dark patch, and the fact that you can make it to tomorrow if you if you choose to. That's strength. Yeah. Um, and, and be very, very proud of the fact that you've, that you are able to do that. And, yeah. and just don't give up. Yeah. Like this is the biggest thing, right? Like even if you feel that no one wants you or no one needs you or whatever you're feeling right now, just don't give up because yeah. there, there is someone who wants you and needs you. And there are people out there that you just don't know. And, and all these things just never give up. And I think what happens is, is that, um, if you have a friend or a neighbor or a brother or a sister or a cousin that is feeling distant, speak to them. If you yourself are feeling that same way, you know, speak to other people about the way that you're feeling. And people aren't taking medication because they're worried about what will happen to them. Explore that option. Talk to your GP. And it just, I think just more we've got to push that message out there without a doubt that this is what people should be doing. And it would save millions and millions and millions of people. Mm. I did this police show um, a few years mm. ago where I was in Peterborough. And the first thing that the, the guy I was working with said, I said, oh, who are we going to, what are we going to find tonight? He said, well, I don't know, but this week we'll find someone hanging. And I went, sorry, what? He said, yeah, 100%. Well, um, yeah, I reckon we find two or three a week. Mm. And I, I was like, what? He said, yeah, yeah it's so casual, like it was just a normal thing. Um, and so I think that I, just because I, I know what I personally have been through and how much I sort of struggled in certain areas and then you, you get through and I was lucky. I could pay for therapists, I had a loving family, I could do all these different things, right? I was the lucky one, right? Because I had all the resources in order to get better. And people aren't that lucky, but I just think, hold on. Yeah. <clears throat> do you want another statistic as well on, on that, that that's going to absolutely blow your mind? So, you talk, so when we talk about schools and the training in schools, you know, all teachers have to know how to react to anaphylactic shock, right? And I, uh, for the book, I did a, a lot, did like a little bit of research into the numbers of people that that suffer with anaphylactic shock and are hospitalized for anaphylactic shock in a school each year. 2019, between ages of like 13 and 18, 1,100 anaphylactic shock um, cases that, that need hospitalization. In the same time period, for the same age groups, 19,000 um, people were admitted to hospital for intentional self-harm or self-poisoning. Oh my God. 19,000. Nuts. Right? That's so we nuts. changed legislation to support 1,100 hospitalizations a year which is amazing by the way which is so really really important but we haven't done the same for 19,000 and you're right about you know if there's support available reach for it get that support get that help medication talk to your GP get that help but so many people you know what I mean message one of us but for so many people that clinical support just isn't available the NHS is a fantastic thing but when it comes to mental health and certain mental health conditions it is very, very frustrating for everyone that obviously works in it. I, you know, if you are presenting as a, with mental health issues um, and you're worried about yourself or you even think about wanting to, to kill yourself and you go to your GP, unfortunately, we're in a position where if you haven't already attempted suicide, you're very unlikely to be seen um, anywhere near, near mm. enough. Um, it can be months if you haven't already attempted suicide 
that is the point we're at at the moment. Um, so, and that's not to say, you know, me encouraging people to, to, to make their condition worse. That's me highlighting how far we need to go to get this system to react quick enough and to intervene quick enough because we should not be giving support to people because they've attempted suicide. We need to be giving support to people before they've attempted suicide. At mm. the moment, we're just not doing that. And it's the same with eating disorders. It's, just, it's exactly the same with suicide. And, and that's the situation. And I've seen that over the last four years. And that's why I wanted to do the book. I want to teach people about mental health. This is what I've been through. This is why it's shit. This is how I reacted. But oh my God, Look at the people I've spoken to, the NHS, the money that needs to go into there, the really simple solutions that we can put in schools, that early intervention that treat and help students and change, change the culture in schools and, and universities and the support they need to, to, to offer. And this is why I want to do the book. And this is why the title I want it to be called This Book Could Save Your Life, because not only can the knowledge about your own mental health and mental health and, and talking to others save people's lives, but on a larger scale, if we make small changes, if we train all teachers in mental health first aid, imagine how many people are going to spot those signs earlier and get into support earlier. If we put a little bit more funding into, into GPs and early intervention and, and getting people support sooner, not five months later, sooner, how many lives are going to be saved? So this book could save your life both personally, but also you know that extends to a wider society too um, because those small changes even the, the cost-effective small changes on a large scale have a huge, huge impact. Um, but it's uh, an uphill battle. So if Boris, you want another word, um, you know where I am. <laughs> damn, damn fucking straight. Damn there we go. fucking straight. I can't straight. mic drop because the oh microphone's my God, attached dude, to I the... love that. <laughs> Buddy, where can we get your book? Amazon, Woodstones, WH Smith, anywhere. On my Instagram, there's a link in my bio. Yeah. At Iron West. like go and go and just go through the bio. Um, please do, please do buy it. I think it can and be really helpful. And we'll leave all the links below as well for you 100%. Amazing, thank you. Ben, um, I love it when people come on and they're authentic and they tell their story and they do it in such a, um, just in such a real way. I really appreciate it. I can't, I, I love to your family and, uh, you know, everyone. Thank you. You know, that, 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 um, your story is affected and all those people and, and just for such a young person in the most unpatronizing way you're just doing some incredible things it's amazing yeah. in fairness though a 22 year old shouldn't be doing this no. <laughs> it should already be done right yeah yeah that's yeah it's so true you should not be doing this no. you should be you should be out clubbing in that 40 yeah. minute club away having, yeah, you know, having yeah, fun and not be doing sheep. this yeah. with the sheep exactly <laughs> um, dude I really appreciate you coming on the podcast it means the world go and get Ben's book we'll leave the link below it's incredible what we like to do at the end of the podcast is leave our listeners with something inspirational. Wow. Okay. Um, I mean, I've already pretty much dried up all of the inspirational stuff. I think for me, it's a case of, again, reiterating that if you are struggling, you are not weak. And if you are having a bad day, it's not because you're wrong or something's going wrong with you. You know, anyone is going to struggle if they're not given the support or they're not giving themselves the support that they need. Um, we, if you have a bad day physically, if you have the flu or if you, you know, tear a muscle, you're going to rest. You're going to look after that. You're going to ice it. You're going to do all this stuff. With mental health, we just don't have the same thing. So if you're having a bad day, have sympathy on yourself, you know? Yes. Have sympathy. Be like, you know what? I'm not able to get out of bed this morning. I have no motivation and don't beat yourself up for it. Think, okay, maybe that's my brain telling me that I need to slow down, have sympathy. I think a large part of the reason we've got so many mental health problems is because our internal voices are so negative and we're constantly at it at ourselves and telling ourselves bad things and being negative towards ourselves. If you can change, and this is something I'd worked very, very hard to do, 
you can change your internal conversation to be positive and sympathetic and empathetic towards yourself and be like, no, I'm not eating a whole tub of ice cream because I'm lazy or something. I'm doing that because that's a fun and comforting thing to do. Fine. Stop beating yourself up for everything, right? Your internal voice is a reason that you, that, or our internal voices are a reason that we've got so many problems. And if you can be sympathetic to yourself, then you change everything. Um, and if you want a day off, and you can have a day off, obviously, <laughs> and want a day in bed and, and want to look after yourself, then do that. Um, but try and change that conversation in your head to be more positive and more empathetic. That's, that's yeah, that will solve a lot of problems for people. Very much. That was insane. Guys, thank you so much. Everybody, we're going to see you next week. Bye bye. Thank you. What an episode. So cool. What an amazing story. Amazing. Very inspirational, dude. Uh, I know we say this before. By the way, to everyone who's listened to the episode and has been triggered or they have, uh, they're looking for websites that they can turn to, we're going to leave loads of links below in the description so you can click on those things. Um, and there are lots of different places you can go to ask for help. Josh, what is the one thing that you do to make yourself feel better? The one tip that you have? What, one practical thing? One practical thing. Well, I talk a lot about um, the importance of remembering that things will always get better mm. um, and, and the importance of asking for help. But if you wanted something really, really practical, it would be exercise. Yeah, It's the single most important thing for me and lots of people. <clears throat> and the good news is the science, you don't, you don't have to be obsessive about it. It's three times a week, 30 minutes ago, and try to focus on things which are aerobic and repetitive. So running, rowing, cycling, swimming, things like that. Um, that's the, the thing that I find. And it's difficult because at the exact moment when you're feeling your most depressed or your most anxious, pretty much the last thing you want to do is put your trainers on and go for a run. But that's the thing that I, if mm. I can do it, I find to be the most powerful. It's funny. They say that about meditation. They say, well, I always go, I don't have time to meditate. And they go, well, you're the exact, as soon as you are, as soon as you say, I don't have time to meditate is the precise time you should be meditating. Yeah. Right. That's totally it. What about you then? You would say meditation. Cold therapy. Oh, sh I so, well, dude, cold I therapy, a hundred percent. I've been doing that. Well, Have I you? know, but I do the sort of bargain basement, you know, Aldi middle aisle what version of it. <laughs> Which is? Well, I just have a cold shower for an hour and a half in the morning. Well, so I know you, you go off. And <laughs> I get to cry. Wim Hof. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Rubs I, you down Wim Hof and, just holds me. Yeah, and I exactly. Come go, Hold I, me, Wim. I go. I go to a. Um, I get to hold me, Wim. <laughs> I go to a sort of cryotherapy chamber, which goes to minus one, four, five, and I do it for three minutes. Mm. I did it this morning. Wow. Yeah. There we go. Um, hey, listen, I've said, I Wait, said say that again. How cold is it? Goes minus one, four, five Fahrenheit, not Celsius. I think. Okay. It's cold. Is it painful? Yeah, it hurts a little bit, but three minutes, you feel great. Three minutes is long though, isn't yeah, but, it? Have you been well, building up to why that? Don't we, we've got dinner coming up. Why don't, before we go to dinner, I'll take you. It sounds fun. Yeah. Do you want to do it? I'd actually quite like to do that. What do, okay. what do you wear? What do you wear? No, you wear boxes. Pants. And, and gloves and, and shoes. And a hat. No hat. And a ski suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have a nice little cocktail. It's quite nice. <laughs> Fuck, I'd love to try that Well, let's out. do it. Before we go to dinner, we'll go and do it together. Can you, you can't get two people in a tub. <laughs> you, 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 oh, no, we do it in turns. We do it in turns. But we watch each other and cheer oh, each other on. Mate, I'll never go in. Yeah, you will. If I go second, I'll just watch you go in. Like, oh, okay, we're going to do it. We have dinner coming up. We're going to do right. it before dinner. All right, all right. Um, listen, I also do want to just push Josh because um, not only is he just generous and kind and all these and great friend, he's a fantastic author. Um, and if you haven't read his books... I may sound biased, but I'm really not. Truly they are. Um, uh, Generation uh, Drift, which is one of his books, his brand new book, and The Anxious Man is his original book. Both are incredible. Um, one is about careers. That's Generation Drift. The other one is about just his own experience with anxiety and anxiety in general. 
Go and check them out. Amazon, his, his Instagram, The Anxious Man. Go and check out all those things. We'll leave the links below as well. Joshi, um, I love you. You're fantastic. Love you too, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, we'll see you next week for another bonus episode and another episode of Friday. Until then, have a great week. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.